We aspire to be more constantly, and that means making people around us uncomfortable. And I let much of that negativity in for quite a long period of time, and it was really unhealthy. And it took someone saying to me, like, I don't want that for you, to then be to internalize it and say, I don't want it for myself. Welcome to Enoughness. This is Lisa Carmen Wang, U.S. national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur. This is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question, how much is good enough? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Enoughness Podcast. Today, I'm here with Kat Hernandez. She is a partner at the Venture Collective and a longtime operator and investor. Kat, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. Tell us about how you grew up. You have a really interesting background that informs who you are today. So I think for those of you that are familiar with maybe one of the most wealthy companies in the world. Um, my father worked for Saudi Aramco for about 40 years, and that meant that I grew up as an expat child in a tiny little town called Abcape, which was dubbed as the friendly city, right? And it was, it was such an interesting way to grow up because I grew up with different cultures and an environment that I think makes me more well-rounded today than I ever would have if I grew up in a suburb in middle America. And there's nothing wrong with either scenario, but I think you just come out with a very different perspective on life. And very early on in my life, growing up in Saudi Arabia, as you can imagine, I realized how much less women had in both personal and professional lives. And for me, aspired to never be in this position where I felt like I couldn't be whoever I wanted to be. And through the education that my parents gave me, was able to get to the place that I am in New York today. And who knows what tomorrow will hold, but I know that that grounding is a big piece of who I am today. What was tough about the way you grew up, um, in particular as a woman in that society? It's so straightforward in Saudi Arabia. It's like women literally have zero rights or had zero rights up until not that long ago. And so I think what was difficult was not having great role models beyond my mom. And my mom was a traditional stay-at-home mom. And so the dynamics at home didn't really leave me thinking about like, oh my goodness, I have to aspire to be a career woman, right? The thing though about Asian culture, which I'm sure you know, is like, you've got like three options for careers. You're a doctor, a lawyer, or in Filipino culture, you're a nurse, <laughs> um, and maybe even an engineer, right? And, but I think what's difficult about that is like, it's hard to know how to get there when you don't have examples of how to. And when women can't even do things like vote or drive, it creates a narrative for you that already makes you feel like you are less than. And I was very fortunate to have an international education that helped me move beyond that point of view. When you did come to the States, how did your perspective change about yourself? I realized I didn't really know as much as I thought as I did. <laughs> so um, I came to the States for university. Um, and I chose the most, uh, I guess, like 
public university I could find. I mean, I went to the University of Minnesota on, on purpose, partly because I thought they were a great school, but also because I wanted to move away from the very structured life that I'd led so far, you boarding school, Catholic school, and I wanted some level of freedom. One of the things I realized about myself at 17 going to college is like there were a lot of things that I didn't know. And going to a con- or a state like Minnesota, which has far less diversity than what I was used to, was very eye-opening, right? My roommate from college had never traveled outside of the country. And like Minnesota is basically next to Canada. So that is uh, unbelievable for me to think that you can only have a singular view of the world because you've never experienced anything else. And I think that was that first moment where I figured I still have a lot to learn. Um, so what would you say is the greatest internal struggle that you've had? Um, you know, obviously the discussion here is often about enoughness and not feeling good enough, um, which can come from being different. Um, it can come from, you know, just, messages that you've been told throughout your life but uh, what was it for you especially being someone who is you know different in Minnesota and having had that very international background? Such a hard question I'd say many people struggle with this and I probably struggle with it uh, similarly is is that this notion of imposter syndrome right Of, of not feeling like I'm ready to do something and that stems from always feeling like I need to be over-prepared <laughs> to, um, and maybe that's like partly Asian culture too, but you know, you, you kind of get drilled into your whole life that you have to be excellent at everything that you do. And growth by definition, I think means that you stretch beyond what you know and what you think you're capable of. And that like Delta creates this like discomfort that I'm not, used to, and it creates all this doubt around me, right? Um, And I think no matter how, no matter what stage you are in your career, you feel that doubt. Um, Because you always feel like you're either not doing enough for yourself, or you're not doing enough for people that you care about. And I think that's actually a very heavy burden for a person to carry with them all the time. And it's definitely something that I struggle with on a daily basis. Maybe not daily. (laughs) Um, Well, you've obviously been successful in your career thus far. You know, you are a partner now at a fund called the Venture Collective, investing in um, high growth startup founders. What is it like as a woman, you know, I'm in that space as well, but as many of us know, only 2% of female founders get funded and less than 5% of investors are women. Um, What has that experience been like for you? I think maybe the most honest answer I can give you is like, it's really, I don't know if I can swear on this, so I won't, Um, but but it's been really hard. And I I think when when you're constantly feeling like you're coming from a place of being underestimated, you never feel like you belong, you quite belong. And listen, I think there's a ton of uh, attention around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the tech ecosystem. And my hope is that this isn't a short window in time where people care that it actually extends over a long horizon and people start really waking up. But I think over the last five and a half years that I've been in venture, it's been pretty lonely, right? Even with great women around me, the reality is that most of venture is a largely homogenous 
uh, like industry. And that makes having conversations and moving things forward much harder than I feel like it needs to be. And there are many days where I am tired and I don't want to do it anymore, if I'm honest. But then you think of like what you represent and the kind of impact that you can make just by like persisting. And I think that's the, frankly, that's one of the only things that keeps me doing what I'm doing, right? It's, it's looking beyond myself and recognizing that some of the best things that you can accomplish in life are going to come with a certain amount of pain and struggle. Yeah. I mean, the fatigue is real. And I think the, <laughs> the point that you make is something that I also stress is um, it's really focusing on your duty and your purpose long-term and what you represent and how even the fact that you exist in that world, um, you stand as a role model for other women, other people um, who may be looking at you and saying, oh, if she can do it, then maybe I can. Like what, what's your internal conversation with yourself on those moments when you are feeling really fatigued? Um, internal conversation is, the, is largely like the need to have some external conversations, right? Like I think part of it is not internalizing all of it because I think you'll drive yourself insane and having a small group of people that like you love and you trust and maybe will be overly biased towards your greatness, but that's okay in certain instances. I'm really hard on myself. uh, So my internal conversation is often like, saying, why can't you do this better? Why is this taking so long? And so I think the external piece is important because you often like beat yourself up to the point where you think, I mean, you don't want to do anything, right? And I'm very fortunate to have a life partner that's also in venture and is very understanding of that. But it is a constant struggle. And, and I think things that do help are, I mean, therapy helps. Very close friends help independent points of view that have nothing to do with your day-to-day help because they're probably more constructive. Um, I'm also a part of Chief. And so the group of women that I have, uh, that I meet on a biweekly basis in my cohort are particularly helpful in rounding out my perspective. Awesome. Do you feel like you've had to change yourself at all um, within the space to be taken seriously? And how do you try to stay authentic to yourself now? I think you have to adapt is maybe a better word because at the end of the day, if you're like a bull in a China shop trying to get what you're, you're trying to get your message across, like so much of what, what this is, is like how you deliver your message, right? And how you deliver what you're trying to accomplish. And so I think I've had to adapt for sure, right? I've, I've had to be very mindful about how I say things, how I portray things, how I move the needle on things. I think that that's true, though, no matter who you are. It's just a matter of realizing that even if you feel like you're saying the right thing, if the person on the other side doesn't accept it, whether that's an LP, a founder, you know, one of my partners, it actually doesn't matter, right? Like you end up in a terrible impasse and then you probably walk away saying like that was terrible. So I think I've had to adapt quite a bit. And one of the skills that I would say people should learn as they go into the workforce is like the skill around managing up and really being self-aware of everything around you because it is one of the things that I leverage most consistently in my in my day-to-day. Got it. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch upon was um, this idea of external validation. 
especially in this sort of industry. I mean, it's all over the place, but in, you know, in venture where a lot of it is about the highlight reel and presenting something that's perhaps better than reality. What has that been like for you? Um, this, this feeling of external validation and how has that affected your journey? Um, it's been really hard. I, I, I would say to you, like, you know, several months ago, I had a friend tell me that she felt like I was losing my core spirit because I was letting all of these external factors define who I was. And because all of that energy was negative, I internalized everything and in turn became negative, right? And so I think in this industry in particular, where we are built on external validation, right? Like we celebrate funding rounds. We do not really talk about failures unless we are like slapping someone's wrist. And I think there are healthier ways to have that conversation. And like the external validation is healthy in a lot of ways because it, it gives you purpose. It gives you reach in certain instances, but it's important to recognize when it's not healthy and when it's the only thing that you're looking for, then it's no longer good, right? When you've lost what it means to be you, when you can no longer move forward unless someone gives you a gold star, like I think that's when you have to reassess whether or not you're doing the right thing or you're spending time in the right ways. What were some of the specific negative influences that you were letting in? Um, people telling me I wasn't good enough. I didn't have enough experience. People saying that if people just not seeing me, right? Um, isn't, isn't that what most underrepresented founders say is like, I feel like they just like didn't understand me. And that is the reason why you need so much more diversity in everything that we do, because the understanding comes from being a part of that community or society or like contingency. And, and I think that was what I struggled with most. It's like, I got so much negative pushback around, like, you've got to stay in your lane. You got to, you know, do the thing that you do well and period. And if you, mean, you and I are very similar and like we aspire to be more constantly and that means making people around us uncomfortable. And I let much of that negativity in for quite a long period of time and it was really unhealthy. And it took someone saying to me, someone very close to me saying to me, like, I don't want that for you mm. to then for me to internalize it and say, I don't want it for myself. So what's changed since that conversation? Um, what's changed? A lot's changed, right? So, um, well, COVID happened, so many other things changed, but I made the decision to help build a new firm that was very focused on leveling the playing field for exactly, exactly the population that I was coming from, right? I had the chance to build something from the ground up versus versus kind of be in a comfortable spot, even though I didn't feel like it was challenging. I've adjusted. I, I've also spent many hours in therapy <laughs> working on myself and continue to do so because I think even the strongest of people need that. And so I have a renewed sense of purpose, but uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say also that I'm tired sometimes. And I, I think conquering the world is a very exhausting task, um, no matter who you are. And so I've given myself a little bit more breathing room than I normally have. 
And I think it makes me better overall. What parts of yourself do you feel like you're still not able to fully show the world? As an emerging manager, as a as somebody who's still somewhat early in my career, even though it's been five and a half years, you always kind of feel like you still have a lot to prove until you've been doing this for a couple decades, right? And so I think the parts of myself that I still feel like I'm proving out is this notion that it like is the answer to the question, am I a good investor, right? I know I'm doing good in the world. I know that in general, founders find me to be the type of advisor and thought partner that they want on their side of the table. But I think at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, like I want to be known as a good investor. And along the way, I want to be known as someone that someone's, that's authentic in that mission. And it just takes time for that to materialize, right? So we shall see. Um, but I have every intention of doing this until I can't. <laughs> um, are there any any labels that you feel like um, are still limiting you from the perspective of the, the external validation? As far as like characteristics? Yeah, um, titles, characteristics. So one of the things that I think about a lot is um, that we are so much more than the labels that society gives us, um, whether that be your culture, your ethnicity, your job title. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm the founder of X, but I'm so much more than just an entrepreneur. You know, I'm also a daughter and a sister and creative yeah. and an artist. Um, and because our society so heavily weights the job title as like your metric of like the label that matters that you lose these other parts of yourself. Um, like for me, it was that creative artist side that I was like, Oh, well that's, it's too soft. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but like, that's something that I've come into my own this year of saying, no, it's like, I am a writer and I am a creative and that's the type of stuff that really brings me joy. And just because I'm also building a company doesn't mean that that's less worthy of attention as you know, this, this thing on my LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I think as my parents get older, one of the things I'm very conscious of is making sure that I am spending as much time getting to know them as, as I can, right? Like time with them is limited and they, they tend to be on the younger end of the spectrum. But um, I think one of the things that I've, I've been very bad at is because I've been so used to being away from home is like creating more connectivity with my family because I've been so busy the last like decade plus trying to move up the ladder mm -hmm. and there's so much more to life than that, but part of moving up the ladder means also providing for my family. And so in some crazy way, I, it like is all tied together, but from a more personal standpoint, like I want to build a deeper relationship with them because I'm a different person now than I was when I was sent to boarding school. Right. And sent to boarding school where I grew up was like normal and privileged. It wasn't like, you were a bad kid and they were trying to get rid of you. So there's a, there's a relationship there that I want to, it's not broken, but I want to build upon. Have you found any particular ways that are effective in building that relationship? 
it's just calling them more, right? And it's it's such a bad excuse because there's such great technology now. Like, and and my parents both have iPhones. Like, there's no reason why you can't have that. Uh, it's it's more about making sure you have the intention is is and not being too busy for it. Um, and my 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 mom and I are very different in that I have chosen to put my career first in a lot of ways and she chose putting our family first. And so while we have a lot of core values that are similar, we're very different in our life experiences. And so I think it's much harder for me to resonate with her than my father. And because my father, I feel like I'm trying to emulate constantly. It's less about like how you do it. It's just like remembering to do it and remembering that like at Friday at two 30, it's probably too early to call them in the Philippines, but at Friday at 7.30, they'll be waking up and I should say hello. It doesn't have to be such a, such a burden. And sometimes I feel that it is. Mm, yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because we're also similar in that way where, you know, my mom put family first and my dad, you know, hustling and um, in his career. And have you had any pushback um, at all from your family of just prioritizing your career above yeah. Family. Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm about to be 35 years old and in Asian culture, if you do not have a child or are married or both, you are somewhat of a failure, right? Um, and so they're, they're much more understanding about it uh, than I give them credit for. But I do think that there's a part of them that would love to have grandkids at this point and would love to see me in a more traditional relationship, right? Like married with a kid and maybe not necessarily staying home. Um, so the pushback is more so, I think, in wanting me to have a life that is beyond the, the office, which I've just not been ready for, right? And, and that's the thing that I impressed upon them. Is it's not that I don't want those things. It's just that I want to feel ready for, for it. And maybe the universe has different plans for me. But I don't want to feel pressured into it just because, I don't know, it's my duty, right? Um, you should. Yeah, because I'm the oldest child. I'm, I'm their only daughter. I have two brothers. And so I always tell my brothers that they should relieve some of the pressure from me and figure their lives out so that I don't have to be the only one. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I have a I have a younger brother as well, and he has a stable girlfriend. Um, and I feel like that's taken some pressure off of me. Yeah, it, it really does, though, because I mean, look at the end of the day, your parents just want you to be happy, and their version of that is you in a home and a relationship, and like basically having all the things that they probably wanted to have when they were our age, right? And like my parents left the Philippines to build a better life and gave us every educational opportunity possible. And so I get it. Like, I understand where the pressure comes from. I think, though, I don't do well when someone is, like, telling me what to do and, like, forcing me to do it. So I've, I've said to my parents, it's like, I want the same things as you. I genuinely want to build a life and a home. I don't want to be by myself forever. But And I'm not, right? But I will do it in my own time. And I think you just have to be okay with that. Otherwise, we're going to be, we're not going to agree on the timeline. Yeah. Because the timeline 
a decade ago, right? So, <laughs> so I'm already really late. Um, I mean, I think I always think that this conversation is something that's really important to have because the the popular conversation has always been like, oh, can you do it all? Right? Can you be a mother and a career woman and etc. Um, but the fact that a lot of women today are actively choosing to push back this timeline um, and still in some implicit way being seen as like failures for being single or lonely or barren, you know, et cetera, um, is like, I, I think that's one of the most important things to remove the taboo from to say, you know, it's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with prioritizing what it is that you want according to your timeline, your schedule, um, your purpose. Yeah. I agree with that, but it's about being conscious, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think so much of life is living it consciously versus like allowing it to be lived for you. If you're not careful, you end up making choices that other people have heavily influenced or kind of nudged you towards. And the strongest women I know are very clear about what they want. They're very clear about the timelines they're setting for themselves. They're very clear about the trade-offs that they know that they're making. So choosing to have a child when you are slightly older is a risk. And I think as long as you are, as long as you're being like aware of like not repercussions, but the like the gives and the takes of these decisions, then I think you're okay. The, the, my biggest problem is feeling like you kind of, are operating like a robot, right? That like, you know, you get to a certain age, you get married because you've been dating somebody for three years and that seems like the right next step. And then you buy a house and then you have a kid and then you, and then you never escape. <laughs> but you wake up and uh, you're like, oh shit, like, why am I here? How do yeah, I-, it's, I think that's why many people have midlife crises, right? Because those people were not living consciously or they were not, evolving with the times as much as they should have been and so they wake up one day and they freak out and they buy nice cars or they like get divorced it's because they wake up and then they try to make up for lost time And I think for myself I never want to be in a position where I'm trying to make up for lost time so life will be what it is and I think it will be great no matter what and maybe there will be a child in the future but my parents will have to wait a little bit longer. <laughs> um, I, I always think of it like part of living consciously is being aware of your fears in particular. Like if you're currently being driven to take action or not take action because of a fear. So yep. a lot of people stay in those relationships, get married because they're afraid to be single or afraid that they won't find someone else or they then get married because they're afraid to let down their parents. Um, and, and so they can suppress their genuine desires because they take on other people's desires or society's desires of what's right to say, okay, this is, this is what I should be doing. So it's okay. And then that wake up call happens when those fears like come bubbling up and everything is like, oh wait, this is, that was completely masking my. Yeah. Yeah. In a country like this as well, right? Where you have freedom to essentially do whatever you want and be whoever you want, right? That is the American dream that everybody comes here to accomplish or achieve. Like it, it, it's just 
you have opportunity here to create the future that you want. I think in certain cultures and certain parts of the world, that is not available to you. And so I do appreciate that certain constructs are not constructive for building that type of life. And my hope is that that will change, but it will likely take a very long time before it actually does. But in this country where women make up half of the workforce and are continuing to rise in credibility and authority and responsibility, there's no world where you shouldn't live consciously because you can. And if you have the ability to get educated, which I think is a big part of this, right? Education just makes you more, it makes you well-rounded in a way that very few things can make you. I think as long as you have access to that, then if you're not making the most out of your life, then that's your fault. (laughs) Yeah. Would you say that there are any more remaining fears in your life that may be dictating you or that um, are driving certain actions? Fear of failing at anything is like the biggest thing for me. Fear of not being good at what I'm doing and that can be personally or professionally. I don't know that that ever goes away. Part of that fear makes me really relentless in, in what I want to become when I grow up, but I don't know that that will ever go away for me. And I'm not sure if I've ever met a person that's not afraid of failing or at least like not as consistently as me, right? Like I do not like to fail at anything. So this is a, this is a challenge uh, that I need to figure out a way around or deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, well, one of the things is, you know, I think this podcast attracts a lot of overachievers, um, <laughs> people who are particularly driven by fear of failure. But um, I know that for a lot of people, there's also just um, things around fear of disappointing other people um, yeah. and fear of being rejected if they put something out there that is their true self. And I think, I mean, that's probably like the constant struggle is how can you live fully and authentically as yourself? I mean, especially as any sort of minority where um, it, it is a risk, I think, sometimes to, to be 100% like who you are unapologetically. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that fear of whatever it is that you're afraid of is innately part of who you are. If it follows you around, I don't know that that means that you're not necessarily living authentically, right? It just means that you know what you're afraid of and you're willing to make sacrifices, work extra, do more than like you maybe need to, to get to that phase because, you know, I think the stacks are, you know, the deck is stacked against you to a certain extent, right? But I don't see that as bad. I just see that as, that's whole, like the whole you is like partly trying to conquer the world and be like a badass. And like the like other part of you is like scared and terrified. And both of those things should net net like fuel you positively at the end of the day. Now, your biggest challenge is is that is making sure that you are positively moving forward and you are thinking about a legacy beyond yourself. And that can be as big as changing the venture land ecosystem or or as small as like building a family that has a core set of values that you want to live on forever, right? And neither of those are bad. They're also both very hard. I don't see it as a downside, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really one of the main reasons that 
um, I think it's so important to talk about this because even this reframe of that fear isn't negative. And so often we do think it is like we, we blame ourselves for having those fears for feeling like we're not doing enough or um, saying that we're, we're inadequate for having that fear in the first place um, yeah. because we only see how confident everyone else is. Yeah. And even the most confident of middle-aged white men have imposter syndrome. I mean, they just don't talk about it that much. Yeah. So I think everybody feels it to a certain extent. It's about not letting it overwhelm you. Yeah. Which happens all the time. Um, so last couple questions for you. How would you define enoughness? I think enoughness for me is when I feel like I've made enough of an impact on other people's lives, right? Enough of a positive impact on other people's lives. And like, I'm not going to attach a quantity to that because I think if I can affect one person really deeply versus like a thousand people in a super shallow way, then I, I think that feels like enough in many instances. Um, it is also partly why I aspire to have deep relationships with my founders instead of like transactional relationships with them. That would be, I don't know if that's even the right answer, but that feels like I've done something that if I left this world tomorrow, there would be a set of people that remembered me for the positive impact I've made on them. Awesome. And final question, what does it mean to you to be a woman? For me, being a woman is uh, being multidimensional. For me, being a woman is powerful, but also weak. And accepting that those two things can exist in parallel and doesn't make you less than any man. And I have a very hard time accepting weakness. And it is something that I am going to spend much of the rest of this year and next year working on. But in 35 years of living, perhaps the only thing that I've really learned is that you are not one thing, right? And so even as a woman, there are 10,000 layers underneath that that make you who you are. And maybe the most distinct thing about you and me is the fact that we happen to be female. But I hope that that's not like, that's not the only, that's not the thing that people lead with, right? I hope the last thing that they say is like, yeah, and she's a woman. Great. I think that's it for me is, is, is that learning? Because I, as you said earlier, we spend so much of our lives trying to define ourselves based on a job title or some kind of box that society has created for us. And humans aren't built that way. Humans are very multifaceted and very complicated. And it's part of what makes it beautiful, but it's also what makes us very frustrating. <laughs> uh, and I think as long as you understand that about yourself, you can appreciate that and understand that about other people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these different sides of yourself and your story. Really appreciate um, everything that you've shared today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Enoughness Podcast. I created this show to reveal the real stories behind the people we admire, to address this universal question we all have at one point or another. Am I enough? Just remember, you're not on this journey alone and you do have the power of enoughness. If you want to dive deeper and work directly with me to level up in your career and life to unlock the most powerful version of yourself, 
head over to lisacarmenwang.com or find me on all social channels at Lisa Carmen Wang. I love meeting and supporting my listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate each and every one of you. Subscribe, share with a friend with hashtag enoughness, and never forget, you are enough.